the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. Every creature is unique in a song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. After John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he stood with two of his disciples. The Gospel writer tells us that one of these two was Andrew. The other of the two is not identified. But for several reasons, it is reasonable to think it was John, the Gospel writer himself, who appears several times in his Gospel, but is never specifically named. As they looked at Jesus, he asked them, What do you seek? Jesus asked these two disciples an important and logical question, and a question he continues to ask to all humanity today. For the answer, Jesus directed them to himself. He simply said, Come and see. Now let's join Pastor Rob. So good to see you all, and for those of you who are online, glad you could join us. And uh, This morning, let's open our Bibles to John's Gospel. We're going to read through the very last section of of this uh, first chapter in John's Gospel. We've spent uh, quite a bit of time in the first chapter, and the reason for that is because there's a lot there, and we don't want to just gloss over it. And uh, You know, I love the word that it is powerful, and it's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides apart between the soul and the spirit, between the bones and the marrow. It gets right in between all those areas in our life. And this morning we're going to take communion, and I'm looking forward to that. But if let's look at uh, the first chapter of John. We're going to look at the first, from verse 35 to the end of the chapter. Let's read that. Let me read it to you, actually. John chapter 1, verse 35. And of course we were looking at John the Baptist's ministry. And his ministry was very short, very brief in time, but it was very powerful. Don't ever judge a ministry by how many people are involved in it or how long it lasts or how short it lasts. That's for God to judge. We tend to do that because we're Americans. And we're not alone. Other people in the world, other cultures, they, they, they gauge things just like we, because the human heart is the same. We, we gauge what's good by how much length of time it lasted, how big it is. And those are really erroneous metrics when it comes to the things of God. We have to be very careful about that. So John the Baptist comes on the scene and he introduces his disciples to Jesus. And we saw last time we were together that Jesus was baptized of John. And John's going to make a declaration later, 
And we're going to see him slowly fading, actually pretty quickly fading from the scene because his mission was over. He was strictly to be a herald. He was the one to go before the king as prophesied in Malachi. He was to be the one, the messenger, going before Christ, making the rough places plain and the, the, the mountains and the valleys low and just kind of preparing people for the Messiah that when he came, he could basically hand her off to him. And I like that. He's preparing, and, he, and he's not so caught up in his own ministry and his own self that he thought to himself, no, this is, this is my ministry, Jesus. I can do this. I can continue doing these baptisms and bringing people to repentance. That's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to continue doing it. There was none of that in John. He knew very well. From the very beginning of his birth, the angel Gabriel came and spoke to his parents and told them exactly what his mission, his ministry would be, and he was faithful to complete that. And when the time came, when his cousin... His cousin, Jesus, came to him there in Bethabara as he was baptizing. He looked at him, and the Spirit and the God the Father spoke to him. He said, that's the one. And Jesus was baptized. But John's ministry was going to decrease, but now Jesus' ministry was going to increase. That's always the way it has to be. We have to decrease, and he increases. Anytime there's an increase in me or increase in anybody else and a diminishing of Jesus... That is not good. But when there is a decrease in us and an increase in him, he is glorified. And then it's up to him how that ministry looks. Always be careful of that. All that's glitter and all that's gold is not necessarily the best. So John now, it says in verse 35, Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Actually, he said that in a previous verse, so I'll just recap it because I like it better. Uh, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and they saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first finds his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israel indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. 
What an interesting uh, passage, isn't it? And, and really it's in this passage that we really get an introduction to the disciples. In fact, if you were to combine all the Gospels together and put together a harmony of the Gospels, this is the very first time that we see any of the disciples mentioned. Any of them. In fact, in, in these verses from 35 to 51, we're going to see that we're introduced to Andrew and Peter. And we're introduced to Nathaniel. But notice that Philip is the only one at this time, at this moment, that Jesus says, come and follow me. It's amazing to me how Jesus can look at these four men, and he knew, and we know that in time, he would call all of these men to be his disciples and his apostles. But for some reason, he looks at Philip, and Peter's there, Andrew's there, Nathaniel, or Bartholomew, some call him. They're all there, and he didn't say, come guys, all four of you follow me. No, he looked at Philip for some reason, he said, you follow me. And it was some time later, we don't know exactly the time frame, but later on, it it refers to us in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, Jesus does call Peter, and he does call Andrew. He actually specifically says, follow me, follow me, you'll be fishers of men, put down your nets. He didn't even actually command them to put down their nets, he just said, follow me, and they willingly laid their nets down and let their father continue with the business. But Peter did that, Andrew did that, and, and they were brothers, and then James and John. Brothers as well in the fishing business there around Galilee in the northern part of Israel. They too, when Jesus said, follow me, they left all their nets and they followed him. And then later on, even still, Jesus would call Matthew in Matthew chapter 9. And it wouldn't be until later on after that in Mark chapter 3 chronologically, that Jesus would call all of them. He would call those six that we just named, and he would also name six others that weren't there in the beginning. Thomas was one of them. Um, Nathaniel actually was. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanite. And, of course, Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. The man who would betray Jesus. But let's look at verse 35 here. It says again the next day, John, John the Baptist here, not the author of this book, but John the Baptist, he stood with two of his disciples. We find out in verse 40 that one of his disciples was Andrew, Peter's brother. And notice in verse 36, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And really from this point onward, again, John the Baptist's ministry would decrease And he would be exalting Christ and getting his followers to follow Jesus Christ. And John was very much aware of this. In John 3, verse 30, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. And notice what he said, Behold the Lamb of God. This is kind of a unique title. Think of yourself, because the the, the crucifixion hasn't happened. The resurrection certainly hasn't happened. This is in the infancy of the ministry of Jesus. And so when he, he says to his followers, behold the lamb, that's very loaded with a lot of information, wouldn't you say? For a Jew to hear that would conjure up in his heart a number of things. Certainly, it would conjure up the idea of the Exodus and And it would bring to mind that Passover meal when the lamb would be killed and the blood would be put on the lentil of the doorposts. 
the whole phrase is very foreboding of death, not one of the opposite. It was very foreboding of death. Behold the Lamb of God. A Lamb of God is going to be crucified or is going to be slaughtered. And John, through the Spirit of God, was already prophesying. Can you see that? I mean, if you look at it with fresh eyes, remember, you and I are so familiar with the crucifixion, the resurrection. Go back in time to this moment. None of that was even on the radar screen for these guys. They, were, they didn't even still, even at the end of Jesus' ministry, they were still trying to figure out who he was. But at this beginning, John the Baptist, filled with the Spirit of God, could say, Behold the Lamb. He knew exactly what his ministry was about. He knew exactly who this was, what he was going to do, what he was going to accomplish. And I imagine when he said that phrase, they're kind of scratching their head going, that's kind of peculiar. Behold the Lamb of God. And in an earlier verse, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it just kind of glanced off of them, and they just kind of didn't think much about it. But John was prophesying knowing very well what was going to happen. And notice, as Jesus walked, he said to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. Remember, John the Baptist was the voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The the passage in Isaiah 40, verse 3, which we looked at the last time we were together. And because he was the forerunner of Christ, of course, he was speaking prophetically. And nobody knew, I'm sure, at that point, what this was all about. But he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And when you think of that, it ought to bring to memory certainly Genesis chapter 22. You remember Genesis chapter 22 is when uh, Abraham offered up Isaac. And right as he was about to complete the act of sacrificing his son, because the Lord had told him to do that, of course the Lord knew that he would intervene and wouldn't sacrifice his only begotten son, Isaac. But as he was ready to thrust that knife into his son's chest, the Lord stopped him and said, Abraham, stop. And of course the Lord knew that Abraham would stop, but Abraham was ready to go through it. And that's the difference. God knew what he was going to do. He was willing to do that. And he said that God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. God will provide himself. And it was nearly 2,000, or actually several thousand years later, probably 4,000, that Jesus, that another father would take his only begotten son, except this time when it came forth and to put him on the cross to, to, to deal that death blow, there was nobody stopping him and saying, don't do it. Actually, the act was performed. But as John is saying to his disciples, Behold the Lamb, certainly they're thinking about Genesis chapter 22. Certainly they might be thinking about Isaiah 53, where it talked about the suffering servant, the one who would carry our sorrows, the one who would be stricken, smitten, and afflicted of God, the one who was wounded for our transgressions, who was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. He was oppressed and afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. This very one that John is pointing to and saying, Behold the Lamb of God. They are looking and saying, All of a sudden, maybe perhaps, or maybe not, but they should have. Maybe John filled in the blanks for them later on. We don't know. In First Peter... Peter says, 
He says, know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and spot. And that's who Jesus is and was. And when you think of the very moment that Jesus, or actually he was probably two years old at the time, remember the kings of the east came and they offered gifts before Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And what were those gifts? Myrrh and frankincense and gold. And myrrh is uh, an interesting thing. It's not only made, uh, it's not only a costly perfume, but it's, it's also used for an antiseptic in embalming. And so as these kings were giving this myrrh to Jesus as an infant, I wonder if in it also there is the germ of this foreboding of death and this one who would take the sin of the world upon his shoulders. And certainly we know when Jesus was crucified, before he was buried, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, what did they do? They brought a hundred pounds of this myrrh and aloes, and they wrapped Jesus in in the cloths, and they put him in the tomb. And notice in verse 37, it says, The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. These two disciples not only literally began following him, but they began following him in the, in, the, in the way of a disciple, the way a disciple would. Their relationship with John the Baptist was going to diminish. Now they were going to be fixed with Jesus. And that's the way it ought to be for us. There ought to be no human element in our life that we put in front of Jesus. You know, in some Christian circles, there's people in the middle between you and God, priests, that you've got to go to them, and then they will speak to God on behalf of you. No, you don't have to do that. There's one intermediary between us and God, and that is Christ Jesus. There's nobody else in the way. There should be nobody else in the way. In fact, that's one of the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection. Wasn't the veil torn from top to bottom? And that thing was very tall. Believe me, there's no man on a ladder going up there trying to tear a cloth that's about that thick or thicker. There were several cloths in between. You're not tearing that with your hands, not even with an industrial scissor. It's just not happening. God the Father did that. But as a result of that, we could go right into the Holy of Holies. We can go right into the throne room of God and pray. We don't have to go through anybody else. There's no other intermediary but Jesus. Amen? I love that. Verse 38, it says, Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, he said, What do you seek? And they said, Rabbi, which is to say, uh, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? This may seem like a very odd question for Jesus to ask, but it is a good one for them and it's a good one for us today. Who and what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Are you seeking the Jesus of the Bible or a Jesus of your own making? In our culture today, in the church, not necessarily this church, I'm talking about the church in totality, that's a very good question. What are you seeking? And for different churches, you might get different answers. Hopefully they all say Jesus. But do you worship a Jesus that allows you to live and be intimate with your girlfriend or boyfriend outside of marriage? Jesus would not condone it. It's a sin, right? It needs to be turned from, just like any other sin. Is that the kind of Jesus that you worship that says it's okay 
And there are people who say that. Well, we love each other. Yeah, you love each other, but you're living in rebellion. And there's a lot of things wrong with that, and we don't have time to go into that. But is that the Jesus that you serve that says it's okay to take um, uh, medicated drugs that are, I'm, I'm talking about the really illicit stuff, like marijuana and stuff like that. Aren't there other things that you can use? Why is it that when this thing was, you know, um, made available and even made legal in some states, instead of using other drugs, that can certainly kill the pain for maybe a cancer person who's terminal and they're really going through a lot of pain. There's other things that they can take. But why is it that everybody flocks to marijuana? Because it's the forbidden thing that we couldn't have in the 60s. Couldn't have it in the 70s. Couldn't have it in the 80s or the 90s. Even in the beginning of the year 2000. Oh, but now we can. I'm going for it. I'm going to stock up on weed. Is that the Jesus you serve? Oh, it's okay. It just alters your mind. THC starts playing with your head. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, right? There's nothing wrong with pain medication when you're terminal or when you come out of surgery. You know, you need something. There's nothing wrong with these things. But what Jesus are you serving? Are you seeking Jesus only to fix your marriage? What are you seeking? Someone to deliver you from an addiction? Someone to get you out of the financial mess that you're in? Someone to heal your guilty conscience? You know, I've known people who have sought Jesus for different things, and then once the Lord gives them what they want, they're gone. Remember a woman who uh, used to fellowship with us, she wanted a, a husband so bad, the Lord gave her a husband and then she took off. He was like a, a talisman, like a, like a rabbit's foot. Give me what I want, Lord, and I'll serve you. And then the Lord, in his mercy and grace, he grants her her request. But what happens? Leanness comes to her soul because there was an idol in her heart. It wasn't Jesus. It was something else. But is he that way? Do, do we just seek him for what he can give to us? I want this, Lord. I want this. And then the, for, the Lord finally gives it to you, and you're like, see you later. Happens all the time. Are you seeking someone who can save your soul and bring you into everlasting life for eternity, forgiving you for all your sin, changing your life forever for his glory, becoming a disciple forever, and being an ambassador and faithful witness for Jesus? That's what I want to be. What are you seeking? Understand that Jesus just, just didn't come to save your soul. He came to redeem the entire package. Entirety, everything, your body, soul, and spirit. Body and soul and spirit. You hear that? He came to redeem your body too, not just your soul. He's, not, he, he's concerned about your eternal well-being as, as he is. But he's concerned about you here and now, your body. Are you, are you sanctified? Are you seeking Jesus for that? In Thessalonians it says, how, how, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you and completely, you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like the phrasing of that. I like the order of it that Paul puts there. You don't hear that order. Notice, spirit, soul, and body. What do we say today? What, what have we been conditioned to say? Body, soul, and spirit. Oh, the body is the most important thing. If it feels good, do it. Right? Body, soul, and spirit. But Paul says, no, you got it all wrong. It's just the opposite. Spirit, soul, and bodies last. But in America, we put the flesh above the spirit. In most countries of the world, they do this too. It's not just us. 
So it's important. He came to redeem the whole entire package. And notice... That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.